we are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Welcome to the Working Artist Project. My name is Gregory Ajid. And my name is Darian Douglas. How you doing, Darian? I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm excited about our guest tonight. And uh, she happens to be uh, one of our really good friends. We're getting old because she's been our friend for a long time. <laughs> and uh, we're excited for you guys That's to true. meet her. So let's welcome Morgan E. Stewart, who happens to be a real New Yorker. It's not like two of them. <laughs> Born and raised in Manhattan. What's up, Morgan? Hey, guys. Hey, hey everyone. <laughs> hey, Morgan. How Thanks. are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you so good. much for, for, for being here. And we appreciate oh, you for making it on such short notice. That's right. That's right. We had a we had a little mishap today. So Morgan had to had to come in here and fill in for somebody else. We were gonna have her anyway, eventually. So but anyway, it's it's good to have you on here, man. So let's let's get right into it. Cool. And um like I mentioned before, you're from New York, right? I am. I was born and raised in Hell's Kitchen, Manhattan, oh, which wow. is the unique neighborhood on the midtown west side yeah people don't really know what that means if they didn't if they never lived in new york <laughs> i, I have a question I've, I've actually never lived in new york what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> so manhattan is a borough one of the five boroughs um it includes neighborhoods like harlem washington heights chinatown soho and in the middle um, near central park trying to name some landmarks everybody might know central yeah, park yeah. Times Square, Carnegie Hall, those were all the borders of my neighborhood. So yeah. Hell's wow. Kitchen is full of restaurants, the theater district, anything arts you can think of. Yeah, it's like I can't afford to live in Hell's Kitchen, you know, so I, I live in Jersey City now, but I used to live up in Harlem because that's where the rent's cheap, you know. We ain't got as many restaurants, you know what I mean? <laughs> that is true. Hell's Kitchen is very different than when I grew up. Yeah. Ooh, rents are much higher. That's right. So, so yeah, man. So you grew up in, in Manhattan, which is unheard of. I don't know if I know anybody else who's done that, but you went to a famous school. They made a movie about your school, right? Yeah, they made a movie. There's a TV show about it, too. Um, but yes, I am a product of the New York City Department of Education system. I was a public school kid, K through 12, and my high school um, better known as the Fame School. Uh, it was called LaGuardia High School for Music and Arts and the Performing Arts. Oh, that's what's up. What was it like going there, man? Was it like fame, people dancing around? It was fame. probably the funnest <laughs> high school experience I could think of. Because um, you did. Everybody enrolled has an artistic major. The only way to go to the school is to audition into the program. So we had dance majors drama majors, instrumental music, vocal music, visual art, an incredible, incredible visual art facility. Um, and then later, as I was leaving, they actually opened up a theater tech department. So you could audition directly into doing lights and sound and just strictly backstage. Wow, um, so it was a lot of hard work. You had music classes on top of your academic, rigorous New York State um, academics. So it was busy, but again, some of the smartest, most creative people I've ever met, we were in math class together. So it was just fun. Can I ask you, um, so, so LaGuardia school is a full-time school. Like it's, uh, and you know, I know in the past when I was at NOCA, we were doing half days. Like I would go to a normal high school, high school in the morning, arts high school in the afternoon, but LaGuardia is a full-time school. Yeah. LaGuardia is full-time. We don't have a half day option like some other art schools in the nation. And again, you can only get accepted into the school your freshman or sophomore year. After right. that, they That's won't take you. Man. Yeah, I, I also went to an art school. It's not as acclaimed as LaGuardia School because I'm from Mississippi. It's okay. <laughs> it's called APAC Academics and Performing Arts School. But we went from elementary through high school. So I went there from fifth grade through 12th grade. And it was like, Greg, like, you know, you go to a regular school, in high school, you do. Like in elementary, you stay there all day. But 
in high school, you go to a different school and you bus back and forth or walk or depending on how close it is to the to the school. But it must be an experience to be in there all day. I just keep thinking about the dancers, you know, I don't know why. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I might know why, but um, they were a very unique section. They're actually the smallest discipline in the entire school. So to get oh, into wow. the dance program was extremely competitive. Um, and I've had friends go on to Broadway, um, join dance companies. Mm. A lot of them are still doing what they were doing in high school. That's what's up. And so did you, when you finished high school, you were like, all right, I'm about to, I'm moving. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to lead the greatest city in the world. I'm getting out of here. You know, I had the luxury of growing up in it and knowing I can always move back to New York. So college seemed like the opportunity to get out of the city. In fact, I didn't apply to any schools within New York City at all. A few undergrad applications went to New York State, but mm -hmm. I figured if I don't grow my wings right after high school, uh, there was a good chance it'd be really hard to leave New York. Just ra random question real quick before we move on to college and everything like that. You know, you had a, a very unique upbringing with music and um, I, if you wouldn't mind sharing how you got into music and what you play, I don't think we've mentioned that on the podcast just yet, yeah. but, but your, your mom was actually working in arts administration, working in management for a couple of record labels and also was uh, working very closely with a very prominent jazz artist. And I know you spent a lot of time with them growing up. So I, if you wouldn't mind talking about those experiences and how they influenced and informed your musicianship and love for music. Oh, absolutely. Um, when you're asking about high school, I was about to back up and give a shout out to my middle school, um, actually. So I'll, I'll tie all of that in. But yes, so part of the reason I grew up in Hell's Kitchen in that particular neighborhood is because both of my parents were involved in the arts in some capacity after they met at Hampton University and moved on to their second degrees in New York. Um, but my Mother was pursuing a vocal music career and my father was actually a dancer. So oh, they wow. moved into Hell's Kitchen to be in that scene that is the New York art scene. And so, you know, before my sister and I were born, parents are going to school, working during the day, waiting tables at night. And my mom was involved in the industry through performing, um, but they were both teachers. Hmm. So my mom left the public school system to actually get a temp job and that landed her at Columbia Records. So my entire childhood growing up, my mom was involved in arts administration. So I actually, my earliest memories is being in the offices at GRP Records as my mom is working late. She was in the international marketing department there. So that's when just my introduction to just musicians and music sort of started. Mind you, my parents took my sister and I to every ballet they could get their hands on, every, they used to get standing room only tickets to the musicals. So music was in the house. And when I got to middle school, or right before middle school in fifth grade, my elementary school offered just woodwinds. They all of a sudden brought on a teacher who would teach flute, clarinet, and saxophone after school. So I went home and I told my mom that I wanted to play the clarinet. She was like, Okay, great. So, especially after a year on the recorder, I think my parents were ready to hear me play anything else <laughs> other than fourth grade recorder. So I was ready for a big girl instrument. And so my mom calls up a friend who happens to be an acquaintance of Joshua Redman yeah. and tells them I need a clarinet. Wow. So my mom's like, okay, we can rent oh, one or okay. we can just make some phone calls. And so the next thing I know this wooden really nice horn shows up at home and it was joshua redmond's first clarinet wow, so wow, wow that was the tool i started on hot cross buns c major scale on this notorious instrument so i continued playing music and again through the school system my middle school had a very rigorous and large concert band program i mean my sixth grade band class had almost 300 kids in it Wow! and we would have band during the day. So my mom and made sure we went to that middle school, not only for good academics, but because it had a good music program. Mm. So really through school was how I got started playing music, even though my parents 
might have steered us that way, but they never forced it on us. They wanted us to love it and come to it. So while I'm enrolled in middle school, my mother takes a job with Wynton Marsalis and his enterprise. So she becomes the vice president of WME, Wynton Marsalis Enterprise, as they are building out Jazz Lincoln Center. So after GRP records, my next like after school hang was with my mom at her office inside of Jazz Lincoln Center. Um, so I met an amazing group of people that worked in administration, but also got to really know the, the musicians in the Jazz Lincoln Center Orchestra. So my mom is this amazing liaison between Jazz Lincoln Center, went to Marcellus, his outside gigs. So I just trail her basically wherever I go. I'm not necessarily old enough to just be left to my own devices. So we're going to rehearsals. We are um, at the concert hall with Winton. So that orchestra becomes basically my model of what a professional musician lifestyle could look like. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in the scenes and that leads to, you know, I'm playing clarinet and everyone is super encouraging and, um, Folks of the orchestra are always asking what I'm working on and they become another set of mentors as I'm, you know, working my way through middle school. I go to high school and now the conversation is much serious, you know, a lot more serious yeah. there. Um, went in, make sure that I know Victor Goings really well. And my mom, they pair us together. So Victor is giving me lessons on classical music, actually, like he, loves the fact that I can play duets and it's not necessarily what they're always working on in rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So that was my first set of etude books, the first Mozart duets, all of these music came from these musicians. Um, so again, still in touch with them to this day. Um, I figured if I can play my college audition music for Wynton Marsalis, there's no panel of any judges that will make me more nervous than him. No, absolutely um, not. Probably absolutely not. No not. way. <laughs> <laughs> so I, if I could get through that without having a panic attack, I can walk into any any audition and be okay because they were always very honest. You know what I just realized? You know what I just realized? All three of us are clarinet players, man. Except I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I played clarinet for because well, my mom played clarinet, you know? And yeah. so when it came time, to play an instrument. I played several instruments, but we had one. So she was like, hey, you know, I feel like everybody's got one in their house for some reason. I don't know. But yeah, but anyway, not to mess up your story, but I just <laughs> thought about that like, damn, this is weird. I played clarinet for like a year and I, I hated it though. I hated it. That's probably the most common type of clarinet player is an ex-clarinet player. <laughs> yeah, for real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's funny. If you, you, you were talking about uh, if you could play your college audition for Winton and no one else could instill more fear than there, there could be nothing more scary than that. And that's funny. I'm at 33 years old. Winton called me to do that recording over the summer. And I literally had a panic. Attack. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. They set the bar very high. Um, not saying. just musically, but just the way they were very serious about what they did and also had so much fun on top of it. So yeah. Um, I cherish those moments. Yeah, that's what's up. I didn't, I didn't know some of that about you. Like, I knew your mom worked with Winton, but I didn't know she was so entrenched. And I didn't know your dad was a dancer. That's so you're, you're like a, a, a artist baby. You know what I mean? We, you have a choice. You have a choice. Yeah. Somehow we ended up. Uh, my sister works at arts philanthropy, also. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact that we both ended up where we are, I think my parents are proud. But I think we were fortunate that it wasn't forced on us right. they Absolutely. just it was just in the household yeah. and and it's interesting because when you studied in school you didn't you didn't necessarily go that route the business route you went the performing route i first went the education route actually um so again thinking back you know senior year of high school you're deciding what you want to go to music school for and i couldn't help but think about all of the wonderful teachers i had um from Mr. Eisenhower, who taught me how to play the clarinet, to Ms. Vogel in middle school, who I just admire the fact that she could wrangle almost 200 woodwinds at any given moment. I just, she was amazing. And then the faculty I had in high school, I just couldn't think of a, a greater gift than at least to have the ability to be a public school teacher if I wanted to. So I went to Temple University for music education. 
Awesome. And, yeah. then, and then after Temple, you, you stayed in Philadelphia for a couple of years teaching in the public school system, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Temple University is right in Philadelphia in the city. Uh, North Philadelphia is a part of the city. And they have really good connections with the institutions in Philadelphia. In a lot of industries, you'll find Temple University graduates. So kind of throughout my... Mm-hmm. So throughout student, my student teaching placement, I student taught in the public schools and was able to make some connections and they encourage you to apply to the school district, even if you decide to move on after college. Mm-hmm. Um, but the year that I graduated from Temple was also the recession hit. And again, talking about going back to New York, my idea was, so I applied to the New York City Department of Education, applied to Philly, the New York city board of education put a hiring freeze on that year so i actually had a job in a brooklyn school which is another borough in new york city um not manhattan right 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 um but i had a school lined up i had the job but new york city did not accept any teachers that year whether they were teach for america new york city fellowship directly appointed no one got a job so i turned around and went right back to philly and was a very specific type of music teacher. I was a woodwind specialist itinerant teacher, which means I moved around the school district. So every week or every day I had a different school. So I had a Monday school, a Tuesday school, et cetera. And I would teach a certain group of students. Okay. That's interesting because I've done some teaching like that here in New York uh, through Jazz at Lincoln Center, actually, where we go to the different, you know, we, we go to, to Brooklyn, we'll be up in the Bronx and the Queens, and some, sometimes we'll be in Manhattan, Upper mm-hmm. Manhattan, Lower Manhattan, Central Manhattan. And, and it's so different, the schools, you know, like, like the amount of funding each school gets, the, the kids, the demographics, and also just the behavioral issues or the lack thereof that you deal with. Yeah. In those schools, did you see that same kind of thing in Philly? Absolutely. And like what you're saying about all the different energies of each school, I experienced that same thing, but actually all of my schools were in the same region where you were talking about having to go from Queens up here to Bronx, you know, all over. I was pretty much always in South Philadelphia. Okay. But even within the confines of say 10 blocks, the three schools I had within those 10 blocks were all extremely different. One school was an arts magnet high school. Oh, yeah. So again, no behavior problems. My students were wonderful. They put on full-blown musical productions every year. You go 10 blocks north of that school, and it is the most dangerous part of Philadelphia. So the school was locked down for gun violence. I had students not reading on par. I mean, the kids locked me in the staircase one day because they just were mad. They were not in the music class. So it was a very emotional school. And then you go 10 blocks north of that school. And I had a very mixed Mm. race school. I had Vietnamese students, white students, black Mm. students, different income levels. So Philly is very interesting in that respect that you can be very close together. Yeah. And the neighborhoods are totally different. And you just don't cross that line. Schools are funny in America. If you don't live in America, maybe you live somewhere else with, with a great public school system. But ours is like kind of taxed based. So so sometimes you go to school like the arts, the magnet school that's getting all the money and the kids are cool. And, and But then if you go to a place like I was saying, I'm in the Bronx and they're not getting no money because nobody owns anything up there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the teachers don't care to teach and the students don't care to learn. So then you get like a what's that movie? Uh, like a higher learning kind of situation happening. And, and, and if you're a teacher coming from the outside, you're like, whoa, what's happening here? And, and yesterday I was, I was in lower Manhattan and I was in paradise. And today I'm 30 minutes away and I'm in, I'm in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. My week would go like a rainbow. It's like Monday was very chill. By the time I got to Wednesday, I mean, anything could have happened. And then my Friday school was kind of back to yeah. pretty. I, I'm just in- curious, like, how do we, fix that like what do you think since you've 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 experienced it like how do you how do how can what's the solution to these problems you know funding it's that's a deep question and again having seen a handful of different scenarios of schools honestly my biggest 
take away from it, um, the best way to fix it is to train teachers to mm. teach in these situations um, or find a way to equip them with the training that they need for the type of school they're going into. Because the one pitfall I have seen is even if a school has all the funding it needs, all the resources, if you have a teacher that has no classroom management or doesn't understand how to teach to the different learning styles within the room, even they can be set up for failure, um, okay. where you can have a master teacher who unfortunately has figured out how to use a shoestring's worth of resources and no money and no buzzer to call the office, but they're engaging. They understand the demographic of the teachers they're working with. They understand the community they're in. But I've unfortunately seen some really promising young educators, say from something like a Teach for America, or even the kids I went to temple with, you know, trained yeah. educators, they were not prepared to teach in an urban setting like North Philadelphia. But we also right. might not be trained to teach in a super suburban community where yeah. your students don't look like you um, right, right. or you don't know where they're coming from. So you can talk charter school, public school, Catholic school. If your teachers are not supported and are not really um, given the information they need to deal with their population, mm -hmm. the, the, um, the kids are going to suffer and the teachers are not going to be able to do their job. Absolutely. That's something that's like really important to remember too. Like as a teacher who was like put in that exact situation that you're talking about, like my first year out of college, working at a KIPP school here in New Orleans, um, I really was able to appreciate like how, um, how much skill goes into being a great teacher and how much time it takes to actually train someone to be in that position. You know, it's not something that happens overnight. You can't explain that through college. Like you need 10 years of experience before you can really understand what, how the flow of a classroom, how to, under, mm -hmm. yeah, what, what you're saying, de dealing with different um, types of personalities and learning styles and things like that. And, and, you know, again, like, having been thrown into the fire like that, I have so much respect for all teachers, all mentors who, who have dedicated their lives to connecting with students and things like that and, and, and people like that. And, and it's not just something that happens. And then, then two years later, like in a Teach for America situation, like you, you're out and you're becoming a lawyer or something, like you need that 10 years to, to mm -hmm. figure out what's going on. Um, and, and you've had so much experience in, in so many different situations. And, and something that always amazes me about you, sorry. You know, it's funny having this conversation with you because I know you so well, but I don't think <laughs> we've really ever like, talked about music like this. But you know, like, you know, for everyone who doesn't know, Morgan is not the, is not like, how tall are you? Like five, two, five, three? I'm five feet tall. Don't be a heightist, Greg. I'm 60 inches high, everybody. <laughs> no, I, I just, I just want to say that because, but I mean, like, you know, at, at, at five feet tall and you, you've had the ability to walk into any room and command um, attention, respect, yeah, and, and, and take control of the classroom situation. And I can't imagine that being made any easier um, at, at, maybe being sm smaller than a lot of your students. And I was wondering if like you can talk about like your experiences of like maybe how you developed as a teacher, maybe some advice on how to, to really take control of the classroom and connect and, and be put in a situation where you can give the information that these the students need. Mm -hmm. um, that is, that's true. I've had some interesting times where uh, administrators think I'm a student and like I'm a cutting class and you have to explain. Like, so I would wear my Philly school district badge all the time, like just the lanyard, everything to make me look like a teacher. Um, Cause middle, by the time you get to fifth grade, there's a good chance you're taller than Miss Stewart. It, it just happens. Um, but I think the one, I will say Temple University there education, music education program really put me in a lot of different situations. Um, so one, I, I got to see a lot of different educators. I got to see young, old, male, female, white, black, any, I absorbed as much information as I could um, while coming up as an educator because I think seeing my, my dad stayed as an educator my whole life. He retired from the New York City Public School 
system and watching his dedication to his he was a PE teacher so just seeing he had a, a lot of students but he would do his grades he was very organized he loved what he did but he was very serious about it and you know it's another subject where you could think PE not a big deal um, but he took it seriously so that was one of the first models of what an educator looked like and going into the profession myself, I asked a lot of questions. I asked any teacher anything I could ask. Um, how do you keep a grade book? How do you, what's the best resources you've used? Um, anything that someone gave me, I kept, and I would try to incorporate that into my lesson plans. But commanding a room um, really has to do with how you start off the year, you know, going in that very first day, going in and having your plan as a teacher set, to me was the best way to start off. And then you become flexible. Then you start to get, your know, get to know your students, get to know their background, but mm. setting that precedence that first day of school, that first week of school and getting those routines is a game changer. Um, because at the end of the day, it's 30 of them and maybe one of you, or even 17 of them and two of you but the kids are always going to outnumber you. And so just, I just let them know I was here to get the job done. Like they were going to have fun, but we were going to learn something. And I would show them that I knew what I was talking about. They would hear music playing when they weren't there. They knew that I went to see music. They knew that this was my livelihood, that I wasn't just here to teach them and then go home and forget about them. Um, and I think that's a, a special place a music teacher can be with their students. Um, but again, I, I watched every educator I could. And in Philly, those five schools I had, each teacher was different. There'd be a music teacher at a Monday school. Um, so I got to see how they worked. The Tuesday school was this awesome woman named Cheryl Roebuck. I have to throw her name out there, but she was a teacher in the Philadelphia school district for years and just was amazing was amazing so i i think about her if i'm ever stuck in a, a funny situation and i try and recall information on other educators um but again the kids get the students get to know you and you can't win them all they're going to be some you struggle with but you have to let the students know that you're there for them this class is not about me i'm not on stage you're not clapping for me and so once i think the teachers take that out of the room and the kids realize that your discipline is because you care about them then that really makes the challenge of transferring information easier yeah absolutely and let me tell you something i know firsthand that that works because i was one of those kids believe it or not you know i, I know i seem like a very quiet and timid person but I, I, I remember <laughs> I remember the, the first day of class, it must have been, it was late, like in high school, 11th grade, and my Spanish teacher, I like, I'm walking in, you know, ah, what's up, everybody? And she just, boom, hits me in the chest, Mr. Douglas, wait outside. And she was like, I'm not going to have that bullshit in my class, okay? And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I never... You know, the next class I would act up in her class. I'd be like, all right, she, she's serious. So I'm going to chill out. She, she knew she had it level with me right mm -hmm. away so that she could do what she needed to do. And I can learn what I need to learn, you know. So That first day, that first impression is everything. Because yeah. you, walk, you walk in and that, that's when <laughs> all the kids are sizing you up. Like, is this class going to be hard? Or is this right. going to like, am I just going to sleep through this this year? <laughs> <laughs> and again, some of that comes with practice. You know, that first year teaching you're a nerd. Some of us are just a nervous wreck. You know, you're just getting used to the, mm -hmm. the overload of being a teacher. Um, so that's, you know, back to Greg, what you were saying about 10 years in five years in. Um, so to all my teacher friends or anybody thinking about pursuing something in education, just stick with it. Um, because yeah. there is just a learning curve that you only get over by being in the profession longer yeah. it um, does i don't know if it gets easier but it definitely gets a lot more fun as you like build up those years 
of, mm-hmm. of experience because yeah what you say the first couple of years every moment you, you don't know what's going to happen but once, <laughs> once you've been through everything it's kind of yeah. like okay i know what's going on this is actually kind of fun drill will rock your world you know you're you're going <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh i have to lead this class of 30 kindergarten all the kids go ah! <laughs> so there's your routine you know so you get routines over again but if you practice this fire drill or like look children you give them that look like it's time to shut up yeah. it's fire you know they're like okay but that's a first you know there's no way to simulate that until you teach you in it yeah, otherwise you're a kid and you're like hee 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 in the line the whole time. But as Listen, a teacher, you now realize you've got 30 little bodies to be no, responsible absolutely. for. You have a absolutely. lot of responsibility. Good good thing you learned all that before you came to New Orleans because them kids down there, wow, boy. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I do want to kind of get, get moved because, like I said before, you, you've managed to live in New York, Philly, and then finally now you're still in New Orleans and you're working for, for a program called Roots of Music. Which is mm-hmm. which is kind of a whole different monster, and and I want to kind of I want to know about that. You know, we seen y'all in the at the Mardi Gras parades. You know, mm-hmm. y'all got little babies playing horns and doing the thing, dancing and this and that. How how does that come about? What's that program all about, and what what do you do there? Gotcha. So the Roots of Music is a nonprofit organization in New Orleans that provides music education, academic enrichment, and mentorship to the youth between the ages of nine and 14. And it is strictly a band program. Every student enrolled plays an instrument. Um, Yeah, any dancers, any majorettes, those have been um, collaborations with other programs. Mm -hmm. But actually Roots is a very unique situation where every student, even the students you see on the flags or the swords during Mardi Gras, the banner, they all play an instrument. Oh, okay. So I got to Roots of Music um, through actually the Louis Armstrong Jazz Camp. So to back it up, how I got to New Orleans, my fantastic mother, Miss Genevieve, suggested that I go work with Jackie Harris and yeah. Miss Phoebe Jacobs at the Armstrong Jazz Camp. Well, shout out to them. Mm-hmm. We, love, we love them. We love them. Uh, and my mom was like, <laughs> you've been teaching. Why don't you go? Go, to, go spend the summer with Jackie, go work this camp. So I called Ms. Harris and she said they didn't have any teaching positions, but she could use some help in the office. And that's actually how my path crossed again with Gregory Ajid at the Armstrong Jazz Camp. Yeah. And another woman who was working that summer with us was a volunteer at Roots of Music. And we got to know each other and she said, Morgan, you have to come with me to see these kids. They practice all year round they're going to love you or you're going to love it. Just come with me. So we leave the Armstrong camp. We go visit the program and the kids are at band rehearsal. It's the summertime. So there's, there's no academic help right now. There's a music class. Mm-hmm. I walk in and the, the band director sees I have an instrument and he asks me, you know, they introduce me, whatever. And he's yeah. like, what do you have there? I said, Oh, I brought my clarinet. He goes, great. 
all clarinet players follow Miss Stewart and um, you guys are gonna go have sectionals with her. That's, That's so right. New Orleans. Like, I was, I know. You, know, you got a horn? All right, you take the clarinet players. <laughs> so we're in the French Quarter. We're in this incredible, it's my first summer in New Orleans. Never seen anything like it. We're in the building attached to the cathedral, which is the iconic building that you see on the landscape. So all the clarinet players, they follow me and got like a group of like eight girls I've never met before. Mm -hmm. But I told them that I would teach them how to play the clarinet with their long fingernails. That was the thing. They were playing, but they were missing some notes. And, right, right. and I said, hey, ladies, let, let's just clean this up a little bit. Um, so we just worked together, but I got them to cover the holes. And they went back to the band room feeling great, sounding great. And that was my first introduction to Roots. And wow, wow. I just thought it was wonderful. First of all, to see all of these young people playing instruments were in Philadelphia. I felt like I had to incentivize my, say, trombone players or flute players to want to come to practice where you, all of a sudden I was in an environment where kids were begging to play an instrument, begging yeah. to play an instrument, even if they couldn't even, even if it was taller than them. <laughs> um, and I saw similar energy at the jazz camp, just kids loving this environment on just that they're in just loving to play the faculty i met were amazing um that summer i got to know the founder of the program derek tab just going to rebirth shows and talking music ed shop so that was my first summer here i packed up went back to philly and decided that it was time to get my grad degree to go back to grad school so i applied to loyola university in new orleans knowing that this charter school network also has given me opportunity to freelance teach if I needed to. So while I'm enrolled in school, a teaching position opens up at Roots. Just uh, they need another teacher. Mm -hmm. And I said, great, I'm not the type of band director you're looking for. I'm classically trained clarinet player. I can teach your kids how to play music though. Mm -hmm. So I got my foot in the door that way. And Roots was just amazing and flexible with me while I was in grad school. And I stuck with them ever since. Um, wow. Wow. I graduated and I came on as a full-time music instructor. And now I am the chief programs officer here at Roots of Music. So I do mostly administrative work, but I also get to teach in the classroom a little bit as one of the woodwind teachers. So. That's, that's amazing that you've been able to see that. I mean, over the, I guess you've been there, how long have you been there? Six, seven years now? Yep, since 2014. So you've been there for all these years and you've seen the program from so many different points of view as, as mm -hmm. a teacher to administrator to executive director. Um, what, what, what makes the program so unique? And like what, what makes music education in New Orleans specifically different than like Philadelphia or New York? And, and how, does, how does the Roots of Music provide those opportunities for the, these young people here? Well, I think Roots is a very unique space because it provides an opportunity for especially kids in this age group, the nine to 14, to come together as a community. Like our students attend different schools during the day, but we are an after-school program. So these students are coming from all different schools around the city. So we have about roughly around 200 kids enrolled in the program. And over those 200 kids, they are representing about 30 different schools. So we provide transportation for the kids. We provide the instrument for them to use while they're enrolled. We provide meals for them. We provide the music education, the academic help, and it's all free for the students. Oh, wow, wow. And that I think is unique, especially something unique because we try to cut any barriers to participation absolutely and it's not a city funded whereas in new york city i had um the opportunity to join all city band it was a city in it was a city right. program so it was free for me as a resident um but unfortunately without a school district here in new orleans like a unified school mm -hmm. district it's harder to put those types of programs in place so roots came in at a very um unfortunate time for the city. It was founded yeah. in 2007 after Katrina, where mm -hmm. Derek Tab noticed, especially now, he'd been thinking about the program for years, but especially after Katrina, he saw an opportunity to actually get this program off the ground 
because you had students without necessarily something to do during that time of the day, which is a vulnerable time of day for young people. It's after school, before it gets dark. So to give them a safe space, but also to provide music, specifically instrumental music education to this age range. Mm -hmm. um, so again, the fact that the kids come from all over the city, which, which happens in charter schools now, um, this is a community where they all get to focus on something together. Yeah. Um, it's such a unique um, education environment too, especially, I, you know, it's funny because when I was growing up, there were so many after school programs and so many opportunities for kids from different schools to interact. And I feel like since post Katrina in New Orleans, so many like charter schools have tried to like provide, like not not encourage their students to go outside of the school to, to get banned, to, to do extracurriculars and things like that. So I think it's so cool that Roots of Music stepped up and uh, provided one, the music education back when that wasn't really happening after Katrina, but also giving like kids from different neighborhoods, different schools, a, a chance to interact and, and meet each other. And, you know, like kind of like put to rest a lot of these like school rivalries and, and things of that sort, and, you know, I still, I'm still friends with people I met in middle school. <laughs> yeah. You know, no matter what we did after it, I think it's so important in a, in a city like New Orleans. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know something we got to figure out, Morgan, uh, between Second Line Arts Collective, Roots Music, and the Armstrong Camp, we got to figure something out where we all work together and we kind of, because your program ends right where our program starts. You get at 14, we start at 15. So, you know, it would be nice to figure some kind of like feeder system and we can get some of those kids, um, dealing with the next step yeah and that would be great um because again like you said they they leave us at 14 right typically go on to high school and they go on to high schools all over the city some students stick with the band and go to some of the bigger high schools like Edna Carr, McDonough 35, St. Aug High School and do really intense marching band and then you have some kids that go on to NOCA mm -hmm. and are in the jazz program you have some kids and the I think what's beautiful about the program is that even if they don't go on with music, they are no less part of our Roots of Music family. Um, right. So Absolutely. we see the alumni doing all walks of life, um, but they still talk about their days at Roots of Music. And speaking to like the faculty um, at this program, I will have to brag on them and say that we have some of the best faculty, yeah. if not the best faculty in the city. Oh, and okay. it's an awesome mix of folks from New Orleans. And then there's a batch of us that have moved here. So again, talking about students getting to experience as much as possible in the years that they're here with us. Um, so between the mentorship from the staff, we have volunteers from all over the city. Uh, we've got a good relationship with Tulane University, Loyola University, Xavier University, and they provide volunteer help. So our students are getting to see collegiate students, they're getting to see professional musicians, that's they're great. getting to see full-time educators every day. Yeah, that's great. And, and if you guys are listening real quick, like go to Roots of Music, Google it and give them some money because the program is free and they need money to, to keep it free and to keep those barriers down. And in any other program we mentioned in the show also, the Louis Armstrong Foundation and uh, also Second Line, Second Line Arts Collective, all three New Orleans-based nonprofits and uh if, if you feel so inclined help them help the community mm -hmm. totally it, it can't you know all of this all of this stuff costs money and so it, it, that's it, it really just what it comes down to there's no sugar coating it <laughs> but it, yeah. you know all of this just costs money um yeah and it, you know it, it's let me just say like as a, a spectator having seen y'all students at parades performing they are one of the the best sounding bands out there like these kids are teeny tiny cute as anything they sound like a high school marching band they can hang i, I think there was like a story in nola.com one time about roots of music like marching to saint aug and like challenging the saint aug high school marching <laughs> that, was <epic>. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that was epic but um but you know like and what you were saying too like the, the community that you all have created because i i you know having been working with a lot of noca and high school students the students at noca are always going back to roots giving lessons, mentoring the, uh, mm -hmm. the students who are in middle school. And I think that's such a beautiful um, sense of community that, again, starts with Derek Tab, yourself, and all of the other amazing teachers 
and uh, at Roots. And you guys do such an amazing job with these students. Absolutely. Listen, I, you know, Greg is, is speaking on something I think is huge in New Orleans and having lived there and lived through that it is like the community. Like it's, it's a really like us kind of place. You know, you know what I mean? Like you say, you walked in and like, great, go teach those kids. <laughs> like, how does that community like feed your soul? You know, like how have you changed be, be, living in that and being embraced by the New Orleans community? You're a New Orleans now. I was going to say, considering <laughs> I'm coming up on uh, living here just as long as I lived in Philly and, you know, I lived in New York. That's where my family still is. But I will say the community of New Orleans is, is why I'm still here. Um, mm. I mean, I don't miss winter. I'll put that out there. So <laughs> the weather is pretty great. But I mean, not only being welcomed, but also the community is what we all keep each other going. So as what well, there's always new ideas coming or you're figuring out how to work with each other. And again, I have to say the students are, and I love all of my students from the very first I ever taught in New York to Philly to this um, community that I've met here, but just the energy of New Orleans is unmatched. Um, and again, the community of coworkers I have, how much I've learned from them. Again, talking about being a teacher, how better to learn how to teach New Orleans students than by watching my coworkers teach as well. So I've learned so much from them. And it's just, again, when the students show up to Roots, they, they just change the whole energy of the day. They're so excited to be here, but they also know that they're about to put the work in, whether it's homework, First, you know, it's homework first, then we get to band class, um, to seeing the alumni come back to help. It's just re-energizing. Even in the times that we're living in now, we don't get to see them as much as we used to. Just, it still doesn't matter. They're, they're still there. And that community, we've been able to preserve that even under the restrictions we have to function under. So for those of you who are, who are listening in the future, we're, this is being recorded during Corona, Corona 2020 times. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, the, the pandemic is happening. How, how has the, the program changed and adjusted for the pandemic? Oh, like a lot of other programs, back in March, we um, closed the doors for in-person programming. So we transferred all of our curriculum online immediately. So over the first few weeks in March, actually we closed the, on Thursday we had practice thinking we'd come back Monday, that didn't happen. So mm. over the first few weeks that everybody was home quarantined, some of the team members at Roots sanitized all the instruments, got all the materials and we drove them around to the students and dropped them off. Wow. And we also organized days for some families to come pick up the instruments otherwise so we got all the materials out and started teaching online through google classroom and zoom mm -hmm. which was a great way to keep in touch with the students um, but nothing takes the place of in-person instruction um, just dealing with lag and mm -hmm. connectivity issues and again that sort of highlighted some of the technology issues that our students were facing that we would not have known necessarily otherwise yeah. until you've, you know, you get to know them and realize you're home and what kind of computer do you have? Do you have what you need to even log on to this virtual classroom? Um, but we made it work and we had some community events over the summer where we normally would be performing. Um, so we've been adjusting and going strong, but every donation helps because again, the program is still free. The kids are still playing, they're still learning, um, and we are still in full operation. There you go. You know, Morgan, we, we coming to the end of this, this interview, believe it or Wild. not. Wild. I know. <laughs> Time flies, and, and I know you, you know, like you just said, donate to the Roots of Music. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug, but if so, now's the time to do that. And uh, yeah. Um, no, I'd say everyone listening, go check out our website at therootsofmusic.org. Follow us on social media. Um, check out the videos of the students playing if you haven't heard them before. And please spread the word about the program. Donate any amount. 
large amounts, any amount. Um, but just spread the word and keep the good vibes coming um, towards us. And if someone's interested in, in getting you to mm -hmm. come teach virtually for their classes outside of Roots and Music, how can they contact you? Yeah. You can um, find me on social media or you can email me at morganstuartmusic at gmail.com. And you can find me through the Roots of Music. If you call the Roots number and say you're looking for uh, Morgan Stewart, they'll pass the word along also. Hey, before we dip out, can I, can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Can, can you tell us why you love music education and why music education is so important to the future of New Orleans and also to the future of the world? Mm -hmm. Ooh, the world. Um, okay, I love music education for those aha moments. Um, whether something for the student has clicked musically. So if they learn a musical concept, you then can help them understand that they can hopefully learn a math concept or you can also show the students physically that their hard work pays off so it's actually a discipline where they can see their hard work they can see you know if all goes well if a student practices they will get better and if you can learn that through music education you can apply that to anything else in your life um, so the the discipline that it brought me and the sense of joy that it brought me as a student, I really enjoy passing that on to my students. And for the, the state of the world, I mean, music education will continue to teach our students compassion, discipline, the love for the arts in general, um, and creates good listeners. I think in a world where we're constantly talking or people are talking at us, instead of just waiting for your turn to say something, listen to your, to what someone just said to you, the same way you would have to listen to what someone just played, and you're gonna play it after that. Again, transfer that into all forms of life. I don't mm -hmm. think, I don't think, Never mind. I'm not gonna say it, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no political <laughs> statements, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick. <laughs> listen, we'll be we here do. a whole nother hour. That's yeah. right. We can all learn from what Morgan just said. Listen more than you talk. And uh, there it is, y'all. Thank y'all. Thank you so much, Morgan, for coming on the Working Artist Project. Thank you for having me. This was such a blast. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you so much, Morgan. And, and we, we wish you the best of luck in all the amazing work that you're doing. And we both really appreciate your friendship, too. So Absolutely. likewise, Morgan Stuart. Thank That's you, right. guys. Yo, guys, this is the Working Artist Project, and I'm Darian Douglas. Uh, my name is Gregory Ajid. Y'all have a wonderful night, and we'll catch you guys next week. Later. Yep. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com. The Oregon College Savings Plan can help fund your child's dreams and ideas. But it's not just for college. It's also the trade school savings plan and the books and materials savings plan even the room and board savings plan. With fewer educational expenses to think about, your kids can focus on what matters, their future. Start saving today to support your child's tomorrow. Learn more at OregonCollegeSavings.com.